Where does your love for history come from? What inspires you? I'm guessing if you look back far enough, it's probably from a book, a film or a piece of music. For me, it was the Aussie TV show Anzacs. I don't know if any of you remember that, but I was obsessed with it as a kid and watched it over and over. As I got older, I discovered the Sharp books and TV series. And the rest, as they say, is literally history. Well, today I'm joined by two friends of the show, James Mace, author of novels about the Anglo-Zulu War, and Chris Simpson, lead singer of heavy metal band Forlorn Hope. Let's hear a quick blast of their military-themed music. That's brilliant, isn't it? I've got all their stuff and I listen to them regularly. Well, as you probably know, I was lucky enough to attend the Clash of Empires exhibition in London recently. It was there that I was lucky enough to meet up with the guys. The exhibition is running until the end of July, so you still have a few more days left to get your tickets via clashofempires.org. In other news, the second volume of my Peninsula War history is now available in paperback on Amazon, and I've updated the paperback version of my Zulu War history also. It has new maps and illustrations. Just search on Amazon for Christian Parkinson, and you should find both of those. By the way, that's Christian with a CH. Anyway, let's crack on with today's chat, and I started off by asking the guys to introduce themselves. My name is James Mace. I'm an author and historian. I've written 30 historical novels mostly set in ancient Rome of the British Empire. And I've also written a book that coincidentally has the same title as the name of this magnificent band that this gentleman here founded. What a link, so professional, incredible. I made um, it up. Hi, I'm Chris Simpson. I'm a history lover and musician, and I am mainly known for the historical heavy metal band Forlorn Hope, for which I am the lead singer and uh, main history nerd. <laughs> Nothing wrong with being a history nerd. Absolutely not. No pride. Let me start with you, James. Okay. You have written a shed load of historical novels. Mm -hmm. The research you do is on par with anyone who's writing a non-fiction history book. How do you go about doing your research, organizing your research, referring back to your research while you're writing? How do you do it? I kind of wonder if my research methods are kind of similar to Chris's because he's kind of doing what I'm doing. Only it's for a shorter uh, heavy metal song, but they still put the effort in. So if you look at my desk when I'm in the middle of a project, it's, I wouldn't say organized chaos. I think we'll just say chaos. I'll have regular paperback books. My desktop on my laptop will have about 10 tabs open besides my email and, and all that other stuff. But Historical sites. I use Wikipedia just as a quick reference, and it's then a good quick reference. Isn't quick it? reference, and then check the historical sources. Yeah. Um, and then usually I'll have an idea of what I'm covering. Like like right now I'm writing about Trojan Station Wars. So the Roman first one, era. yes, is what I'm writing about at this moment. So like on my desk at that moment, I'll have a book on Trojan. I have books on the Roman legions. I have a Kindle version of a book on Trojan that's open to wherever. I'm at at that moment, I'll have pictures of maps. So I have a bunch of tabs open at once, and somewhere in all that is the open tab of the book I'm working on. I was like, okay, don't close that out, don't delete that. And really, I just start writing. And then if I, if I need to stop and check something, I'll do that. And I will spend an hour researching something, 
for a single throwaway line that no reader is probably even going to latch onto, but it will drive me, it will drive me insane if I get something wrong. So there's a school of thought on this, isn't there? I'd be interested in your take that <clears throat> you just want to get it out. Uh, you just want to get that first draft out. And if, if, if you don't know the historical accuracy of what you're doing, just write it anyway and then come back and fix it in a second, third draft. Is that what you do or do you like to nail it first time? I like to nail it the first time, but what I will do if I'm not certain is um, in red font and parentheses, I'll write, I'm talking about this. So I know to come back to it. So it doesn't slip through when you're editing. Yes. I, I try to have a completed story before I send it to my copy editor. In fact, I just started with a new one. Our turnaround times are fantastic. It's like two weeks. But then I always do at least one or two read-throughs on each story, both before I send it to her and after, because I can get very wordy. So a lot of the cut down is making sentences more concise. A lot of that is how it's going to sound as an audiobook. So now my audiobook narrator, Jonathan Waters, I hear his voice in my head. He's like, oh, great, my voice is in your head now. I said, well, it's not in a bad way. Because I'm hearing it, because how is it going to sound? Is it going to sound natural when he narrates it? So that has helped there. I read it through twice. I make my edits, make my rewrites. I send it to Die. She does her thing, sends it back. I probably read it through twice more. On the second read-through, after I've gotten it back, I'm trying to read it just as I'm reading a book. How is this going to be for the reader? I'm always making adjustments up until the very end. I don't know who first said the phrase, but it's um, a book is never finished. It's simply abandoned. That's abandoned true. as into it goes into print. I'm pretty sick of the story by the time I finish because I've read the whole thing so many times. I'm ready to be done with it. But what's fascinating is because John is doing my backlist titles right now. He's doing books I wrote 10 years ago. And so it's like I'm getting to re relive the experience again. So long answer to a short question. No, that's good. I, I love the detail. And Chris, I know what you do is obviously different. You know, music <clears throat> and writing novels. It's different, but it's similar, right? How do you go about doing your research? And, and what inspires you when you're researching to think that's a song? You know what? It's, it's something that's really evolved in the six plus years that I've been writing this music because I think when I first started <coughs> jotting down ideas for the first few songs that would eventually become the first Forlorn Hope album um, it was really casual I'd been reading way too much sharp at the time and I was just like this is a this would make an amazing album this again so I just I was you know just just you know I had this little short list of oh song about Bad Hoth would be great or song about capturing this eagle would be great a song about Talavera would be great and so and then it sort of so when I first started knocking some songs together my research was actually, I will have to admit, my research was pretty limited. It would be, you know, I had, I, you know, I'd read a few books here and there, but I sort of went back to them and, and to, I will admit to Wikipedia, you know, to check a few, check a few details, but it we wasn't... We all say that like it's a dirty yeah. word. Like, <laughs> yeah. Wikipedia. I think it's fine for the basics, right? Yeah, yeah, you know. You can't use it for academic. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, so... You know, th th those first ones, when I first wrote those lyrics, were not very heavily, not very heavily researched. And then... As, I start, as we started moving, as I st actually, when I got to the point of having to write some actual sleeve notes to go with the lyrics I'd already done, so when we first brought out the first album, I was like, oh, okay, 
need to put in a, need to put in a bit more work here. And then realizing last minute things I'd gotten wrong in lyrics. I've got, I've got this, oh, <laughs> thankfully realizing on the eve of recording, frantically changing lyrics before they got finalized. Um, and so then when we move, as we move forward and as as we sort of, as people, you know, people really got into it and were, were really into, they were into how into the history we were. I was sort of like, oh, wow, you know, you know, people are really taking this seriously from, even from that music fan perspective. I think I really need to up my game here. You know, I need to make sure I'm taking this as seriously as it deserves to be taken. So then I did an awful lot more, then I was putting in a lot more research and a lot more reading and I would sort of, and I think I would, I would find topics. I, yeah, I mean, I've had, a sh I've had a short list of topics as long as my arm in the back of my head for years. So, you know, I, I would put more, a lot more effort into sort of reading everything I could get my hands on with those. And I think the thing that really pushed me was a few years ago when we put out our first World War standalone single to the bitter end, which was about uh, an incident at the end of the tail end of the Battle of the Somme, which was quite poorly written about. So that was the first time I actually had to go and find a primary source. I was like, what is this? This is, this is proper history. I'm not, this, so that's not you, what I'm here for. Well, I mean, well, I, well, I had to, I had to go, um, I had to go looking. No, this is the Glaswegians at the end of the Battle of the Somme, isn't it? It, it is, but it's not, it's not just the Glas Glaswegians. I mean, that was one of the things that came through in my research was how the limited versions of that stories we had have really only focused on that one half of the, you know, you know there's ma at least half of them were border regiment men as well. But anyway, sidetrack. <laughs> so it was, it was having only this one account and trying to flesh it out a bit more and go, what the heck actually happened here? Actually making the effort to go to the battalion war diaries and you know go from that starting point and look at primary sources that other authors had referred to that was that was really interesting i mean you know i do not i do not claim for a minute to be a historian i'm not i'm a history enthusiast i love it but i think that brought me a little bit closer to that experience and it brings you that and it brings you that bit closer to the reality of the people you're writing about and i think i have always had that sense that you know, even if I am, even if I am mainly doing this on on the basis of secondary sources, you know, because I say I'm not a historian, the obligation is still there if you're writing about real people, who you know, and their their real lives, and in most cases, real deaths, to put the effort in, I think, and to to do your to just do your level best to to give a decent a decent account of what actually happened because. You know, I, I know there is a lot of license in, I, I, think, I think a lot of people would see the way we approach subjects sort of in the same way that, you know, a filmmaker or a TV show would approach it. You know, you're presenting it in this dramatic, um, in this dramatic artistic format. So, you know, I think a lot of people might see a certain <clears throat> space for artistic license, a space to do stuff that, is maybe a bit more dramatic. That isn't quite what happened, and I do my I do my best to shy away from that because I think that telling the reality of these stories and 
give, giving them a fair shake is, is really important. Well, know. I need to check with you then, talking of that. <laughs> Did the German commander really say, is this what held up my brigade for a week? Is this what held up my brigade for a week? I, don't, I probably got that a bit wrong, but... Uh... I hope so. <laughs> <laughs> I hope so too, and I'll tell you why. Because when that song came out, and I, I remember I messaged you about this, I, I said, do you think this would make a good James Mace book someday? <laughs> and so I actually, I, I have a question for you on that. The Defense of Frankfurt Trench, okay, mm. I'd never heard of it. Me neither. How do you find these obscure <laughs> incidents that are no less important but when we think about the Somme, for those who don't know, was one of the most horrifying events in human history. It lasted, mm. I think, four months. There was a million casualties on each side. Tolkien, J.R.R. Tolkien was in the Somme. He showed up just as it was beginning. Mm. How did you even learn of this? Honestly, pure chance. It's not, I know it, it, it sounds so, I, I could totally spin so I was like, oh, I did all this really deep archival research and I uncovered this amazing story no one's found before. No, completely didn't, a total accident. Um, I was on a battlefield tour um, oh, <clears throat> years and years ago before, in fact, you know, I think, way, way before Forlorn Hope, um, it was being led by a fantastic historian called Andy Robertshaw. I've met him. A top bloke. Yeah, yeah, he's got a World War One trench in his back garden. Oh, what a legend. Wow. Um, and we were, I think we were there in 2016. So, you know, we were doing a lot of the Somme battlefields and we were in the air and briefly mentioned in passing this sort of, you know, last standy story. And I just sort of made, and I went, ooh, that sounds cool. Made a little mental note, sort of forgot about it, and then, then it's when I was you know, looking for something new to do after the debut album. This sort of floated back up to the top, and I had to get onto my dad, who was on the tour, and was like, "Dad, Andy Robertshaw mentioned this thing three years ago. What was it?" And he was like, mm, "I think it might be this," and it was. And thankful, thankfully, I managed to dig up enough stuff that I could uh, cobble together cobble together a song. Um, but I think again, you know what? That was what I, I found enough out of the. I, it, it's, it, I, I always have these two waves of the research. So I have my initial wave, you know, that I will write the lyrics on the bass stuff. And then always, and then we'll always have some sort of supporting material. So whether it was sleeve notes for the first album or for the last two um, standalone singles, we've done these audio histories, which I'm super proud of. Um, I've always had to go back and dig, dig a little deeper to, you know, give people a bit more meat and a bit more context. And, you know, that was, that was the point where I was sort of, you know, finding more uh, finding more about it and and there's been some really there's been some really good work done there's there's been a bit of research done on it after i put that out which you know did highlight a couple of errors that were in that but i didn't know Always at the time away, which is fair enough mm -hmm. i have i have a section on the website the uh, the the page of shame which is all my corrections <laughs> i oh my god i should do something like that well and, and what amazed me and i i, I name drop these guys all the time because people don't think. And you, and you rocked the t-shirt very nicely. Oh my God. Well, he, I had ordered the t-shirt off their website and he messaged me and said, James, you're going to be here. Why don't I refund your shipping? I'll bring you the shirt. So, and I brought him a copy of the book Forlorn Hope because my thought was when you, Chris, and the tale of two Chris's here, when you introduced me to them with their song Rifles, which has a very Iron Maiden-esque vibe to it. I love it. And I, thought, for, I wrote a book called that. <laughs> it's a term from the Napoleonic era. So when I wrote out to our other Chris, uh, I said, so do you know who I am? Do you, are you familiar with me? And you're like, no. <laughs> well, I mean, no, I was because I had, well, I wasn't familiar with the book, but I'd heard you mm -hmm. on, his on his podcast. Yeah, okay. Yeah. 
Yeah, it, mainly you talking I, I about. It. I love linking it. Yeah, all I, I love it too, and it, it's amazing because you're British, live in South Africa. You're in Liverpool. I am Liverpool. I'm in Boise, Idaho, opposite side of the planet. I'm sorry for my accent. I'm sorry I don't talk proper. Uh, if I stayed here for a year, I'm sure I could I could get a job at the BBC. Uh, but I see similarities between what we do and where I have the respect there. And especially with your song to the bitter end, mm. is seeing pictures of you guys with the curators, and I wonder how the reaction was because some curators are very snotty or they just. Some of them, I wonder why they're even in the job. <laughs> like when now, when I was researching for the Zulu War, of course I started with the Royal Welsh Regiment, and this is before I started expanding into writing about the entire war. I reach out to the museum in Brecon, and I'm talking to Bill Kanan, who's a retired regimental sergeant major, Royal Engineers. He wrote me back immediately, gave me access to their archives, and that gave me my start. And then I look at what Chris and the Forlorn Hope are doing with <laughs> To the Bitter End. They're doing the same thing. And then I look at what they're doing for To the Bitter End. Mm -hmm. For a five-minute heavy metal song <laughs> that they could probably just pull info from a source online and come up with enough for a song, but no. They're talking to museum curators. They're getting access to archives. They're getting all this information for a single song. That is what... Incre I, don't, I don't need to inflate your ego at all, oh. but you know, it, uh, that is where my big well, respect for you comes in I mean, as a historian. You're very kind. I mean, actually, to be fair, we... The I think the pictures you're talking about when we're at the uh, museum in question was actually, it was the Cheshire Regiment Museum in Chester, okay. near, near where I live. And they, f fantastic museum, fantastic people, no, con no connection to the Frankfurt Trench story. So weren't there, oh, okay. weren't there for, re for research. Um, they very kindly let us come and do a photo shoot in their okay. replica trench. Okay. Um, but, but I completely get what you mean. And like I say, I think there is a, there is a real, there is a lot of goodwill at that sort of, if you go a couple of rungs down from mm -hmm. the top level of sort of history and museums, there are so many people out there who are so willing to be generous with their work and be, and be helpful. I mean, I, ha I, when I was doing, when I'm on the bitter end, when I was doing that, I did, um, I, most of the research I had to, I was doing with that was doing in 2020 during the first lockdown. Oh wow. So I was doing so I was basically getting everything that I could from the internet and from emails and stuff like that and thank and um but I was I was lucky enough that a couple of the authors who's who had written on it a little bit who written on it a little bit I managed to get through managed to get through to you by email and they were really generous saying yes I used this yes I used this um take yourself to here use that um and yeah I think I I I think at the moment I think there is a real fantastic interconnectedness between people, who, you know, people between history lovers, between historians, between people like us who come at, come at it from other angles. And I think there is, I think what, it's one of the few good things happening on the internet at the moment <laughs> is that shared sort of passion and sharing of knowledge mm. and ideas and stuff like that. You know, there's the odd, there's the odd scrap and everything, uh, mm -hmm. but I think, I think that is a fantastically positive thing we're seeing at the moment. Now, I wanted to ask you something, something sure. back to what we were saying, because, you know, you were saying we sort of work in this similar space with mm -hmm. how we, you know, approach our subjects. Now, you are very, you are very ostensibly working in the realm of fiction. You know, mm -hmm. that is, sorry, from the start. Have you ever, and I'm not talking about 
gaps here where you know you don't know what happened so you know you can fill in what you like have you ever made any specific choices where you have gone okay i'm i'm i am going to deviate from what i know to be the actual events here for a dramatic reason or or any or any other sort of storytelling storytelling reason how how do you sort of how do you view your role as as a writer of fiction but of historical fiction in that way the short answer is no yeah if there are deviations it's unintentional <laughs> it's an error on my part yeah if i get something wrong it's totally on me um but no, I, I, I believe in the adage, truth is, truth is stranger than fiction. I would rather tell the story as it happened mm. at, to the best of my ability and let the reader decide from themselves. So it, really, it, in a sense, you're, mm -hmm. writing, you're writing narrative history, but you're taking out the word probably. Yeah. You know? yeah. <laughs> All the history books well, say, oh, it, it would almost certainly have been like this, yeah, or and, it's probably and, like this. You well, just yeah, go, yeah, this is how it was. Yeah, so one of my first inspirations for writing historical fiction was The Killer Angels by Michael Shara. It's what the film Gettysburg was based on. Mm. And Shara had said, as soon as you give a single line of dialogue or a single thought bubble or a perspective, it's automatically fiction because we don't know. We yeah. don't know for sure what the people were thinking. Yeah. We can speculate, and the reason I do it, and this is why I said in my presentation earlier, is to give depth. Like, people will be more drawn to a movie than a documentary. 100%. Yeah, absolutely. So I, I'm a history nerd. I love documentaries. Mm. But, and like I talked about with history books, there's names and numbers, but not personality. We don't mm. see them as people we can relate to. You say that because you're... Talk, talk you did this morning and you were talking about you know your entry point into the history was Zulu Dawn mm -hmm. Zulu War it sorry, Zulu it was it was those films and I think about this and I, I honestly I can't remember the last time I heard someone tell me about their historical passion and when they were asked how they got into it they didn't cite a pop cultural thing you know, it's a, uh, it, it, for 90, you know, there are some, there are some, but I think for the massive proportion, it's people who have got into this through, through a film, through a TV show, through, uh, through a series of books, you know, like I say, Sharp, Sharp was my inroad. Mm -hmm. um, well, there we go. Oh, yeah, yeah. I, don't, I haven't seen that. But there you go. But that's the thing. I think that is the power of historic, that is the power of historical fiction in whatever format. And so I think it's really important. And I think even, you know, the stuff that we as history nerds like to, like to gripe about and pick at and mm. say, no, he wasn't wearing that uniform, yeah. Mm. Yeah. Um, which I love. That's not me. <laughs> no, that, that's, that is self-reference there. I love doing stuff like that. But that is the jumping on point for so many people. I think, you know, however, however good or otherwise the new Ridley Scott film is, I think we're going to see a massive upsurge in interest in Napoleonic history in the next few years. Well, that might help both of us. It can yeah, only no, no, be no. a good thing, can't it? Well, yeah. so here, here's, here's a kicker on that. It's funny. I, I love how you just referenced that because it's not something I ever, it's not a way I would have ever thought about it. So mm. now I'm Good thing you don't uh, charge by the quote, because uh, <laughs> I'm, I'm going to pinch it. You talk about pop culture references. So here's the deal. When I mentioned before to the bitter end about Frankfurt Trench, I said, mm. well, would that make a good James Mace novel? Okay. So if I write about Frankfurt Trench, 
it will have originated from a pop culture reference being the To the Better End by Forlorn Hope. So, hey, I mean... I'm finally influential. Yes, <laughs> you're an influencer at last. Well, like, something I've been interested in and thought about writing about, don't know if I ever will, The Battle of Vizna. The, the Sabaton covered it in the song 40 to 1. Oh, yes, yes. Which is what got me into them. I got to see them when they came to Boise, Idaho, by the way. It was brilliant. Um, and they're another... his. Uh, the Battle of Vizna in 1939. It was the um, defense of Poland, isn't it? Yes, yeah. it, it was. Is this uh, the last cavalry charge. No, no, no. Which there's a lot of myths about that. Uh, a lot of podcast. Uh, so I is. can see another rabbit hole opening up there. I can. <laughs> I, it's a big rabbit hole, and there goes Alice. Uh, <laughs> um, no, it it was um, a defensive effort against Guderian and the and the uh, six Panzer. Yeah, the entire Panzer Corps. Oh against, so about 40,000 troops against, I think it was 700 Polish riflemen who had anti-tank rifles, but they didn't have, they had very little artillery. They had old, we're talking like turn of the century, horse-pulled artillery, like six guns, and it's almost like Frankfurt Trench. They held for several days before they were overrun. Guderian was distraught because his forces were getting mauled, and he, he's thinking, my God, if they had been half, if they'd had half the numbers we did, we never would have gotten through. And the Polish get such a bad rap throughout history. Again, that's another rabbit hole to go down. Yeah, they're some of the most valiant fighters on the planet. And I thought that'd be a great story to cover someday, maybe. Uh, but Sabaton does it as a heavy metal song, and it's one of their more famous ones. Well, I've I've been in a similar position with that because I've I, I have found myself thinking of you know, oh, I'd love to do a song about that. And then it's either a case of, oh, Sabaton have already done it, or there's already some other, another band have done it, or there's already another really big, there's already another really famous bit of pop culture about it. And it's like, and I have, and I've thought, I don't think I can bring enough, I don't think I can bring a fresh enough take on this or enough new information <clears throat> to justify to, to, to justify doing my own version. I think it's all, you know, if it's always going to be compared to something else, I've got to have a, I've got to be really, really sure that I've got something fresh to say about it. And so I think that's probably why I'm not sure we'll ever do, for instance, a Charge of the Light Brigade song. I think, you know, between Iron Maiden and the cultural idea of that, I don't know if I would have anything sufficiently fresh to add to that. It's the same reason why I don't think we'll, we'll, probably, ne we'll probably never do a Rourke's Drift one. Well, Sabaton did it. Well, Sab Sabaton, <laughs> Sabaton have done it, and it's Bastards. Sabaton have done it, and Zulu is such a cultural behemoth. I don't know if I could get around either of those two. Well, so. well you could do, but you know, as, as you learned, there are other battles you can cover. Wow. And you're used to covering obscure stuff, like Frankfurt Trench. It's just a thought. Um, and I, I, I had a thought there too. It's, it's almost like how with my, me as a writer, that's why I've never written about Julius Caesar. It's been done to death. That's why even though I wrote about Isandawana and Rourke's Drift in my series, I did it because I had to start there. But again, they've been done. Mm -hmm. So that's one thing I appreciate what you guys do is you cover stuff that may be a little more obscure. I do want to ask you about something, because some of your lyrics grab me. Okay, like your song about Badahoth, which I wrote a book on, and I'll circle back in a second there, but like, you know, the whole reform storm again. I, yeah. That just grabs me. Mm. How do you, I mean, does sometimes it just jump out at you that this is what we want to say? 
I honestly, I, th I think with, with the lyric, because obviously that's entirely <clears throat> my side of things. I, I am the only lyricist for Forlorn Hope. Um, and it's a real, it's a real mixed bag. You know, I think you, I will sometimes, sometimes I will have phrases that I'm, I, I, I will often have a couple of phrases that I'm, that I'm really happy with that, that pop, that just sort of pop up mm -hmm. when I'm reading. I was like, that is, that is how I want to express this. And then some, so sometimes you have that and that, but you have that much more space to fill and you're like, okay, the rest of this is going to be a bit more of a slog to try and, mm -hmm. to try and balance the competing the competing sides of I want to tell this story as well and, and as accurately as, as I can but I don't want this song to be <laughs> 20 minutes long <laughs> and I still and I still want these lyrics to be engaging I don't just want this to be a history textbook set to music and I still want this to be a catchy song so it has to rhyme God. <laughs> it's a, it, it's a lot of competing factors and trying to sort of hammer your story into that um into that space into into those parameters is uh it, it's a challenge but you know sometimes sometimes the magic just comes and yeah, so, you so never you're... know what people are gonna latch on to so you're you're kind of like me then in that you sometimes get writer's block oh Hundred <laughs> percent. I go month. You're on it. I, I go. I will go months and months and months without writing a thing, and then I'll have a spark of inspiration in the shower, and then I'll just because why wouldn't you? It's always the shower. It's, uh, it's the shower or driving, and then I have yeah. to stop or get out and type something into my phone really yeah. quickly so I don't forget it. Oh, for um, me, it's on my road bicycle. Yeah, <laughs> I, I'm cycling. Through, you know, because that's where I do my cardio. I'm cycling, cycling. It's like. And tell me if this ever happens to you. I, I'm pretty sure I know the answer. Is like you come up with something, or if it's like late at night, or in your car, on your bike, whatever, and you come up with something, this is brilliant, or a spot of dialogue, or a lyric, and then if you don't write it down, and you forget it later. It never comes back. Yeah. And you have that thing, you're like, I'm convinced that was the best lyric I have ever written yes. in my life, and I'll ever remember it. And what um, I come up oh, with later? No, try, try, doing it when it's, um, try doing it when it's a melody. Try doing it when, you know, it's like, oh, that sounds good. And then you have to rush and find a phone and take a cringeworthy little recording of yourself sort of <laughs> singing this vague approximation of what's in your head and then come back to it. It's, uh, oh, it's fun. album is um, pretty much written um, it's it's pretty much written we are currently hunting for a new drummer so that we can get in the studio and make that make that reality yes please um, and um, obviously I am I am not currently in a position to disclose what it's about but again it's a new it's it's a fresh approach to what we've done previously it's stories from different eras across uh, about 150 year period on a common on a common theme so it's letting it's letting us explore lots of different conflicts and mm. from lots of different angles but with a common thread running through so still a concept album fantastic i love it and james before you answer can i just say sir can you get back to british military history look <laughs> <laughs> at this roman stuff uh, yeah so on that it's uh, I, i've learned as an author i have to be a lot more prolific my Goal right now is to put out about three to four books a year. Ooh, wow. uh, I will have four out this year. I have two coming out very soon. I'm currently writing about Trojan Station Wars. After I finish that out, which will be this autumn, 
I don't know if that's when I'm going to pause my series, The Artorian Dynasty, because when I do Kingdom's Fall, that'll be Volume 7. I am interested in the Anglo-Afghan War. Ooh. I've thought about the... Yeah, the, right the, about that. Yeah, that so... Great. First one? So, uh, whatever one was... Yeah, or not Anglo-Afghan, I'm sorry, Anglo-Egyptian. Oh. So, uh, oh. Sorry, I know, there goes the excitement We don't in care the now. Yeah. <laughs> Damn it, we don't care. No, no, uh, I was saying the, um, the Charge by Moonlight... Drury Lowe and the Household Cavalry at the Battle of Kassassin. Drury Lowe was a Zulu war veteran. He led the 17th Lancers at Ulundi. There were, at least among the officers, Zulu war veterans in Egypt. So I've thought about covering that. And maybe in the same way when I wrote The Forlorn Hope, do it as a novella, see if it catches. And then maybe expand from there. I want to go back and forth between British history and, and ancient Rome. I have other ideas in mind. I want to touch on the First World War, and that's why I was talking to Chris about... I was dead serious when, I, when I said, would Frankfurt Trench make a good James May story? So we may have to coll collab a little bit. We'll have to get over to Glasgow. We'll have to uh, go to the, HL, uh, the HLI Museum. Bugger. You know, I'll have to you know, claim that on my taxes for travel expenses, which is what I do. Um, Drinks on so, yeah. I, I have a, ideas for a series of standalones set during the Great War. Uh, the Battle of Mons... There was a great series called Our World I've just been War. There. Oh, really? Yeah, I was walking the I was walking the ground last month. Fantastic. Well, then we need to talk again. We do. <laughs> <laughs> we need to have more of these talks. Ho hopefully, we can you know enjoy each other's company and not drive each other bonkers. Uh, I do want to cover that, and I've thought about covering the Australian Light Horse. So, talking to the fellows at the Anzac Memorial, one of whom gave a fantastic talk this morning. If you missed the Clash of Empires exhibition, you missed out. But most of the um, Lectures were recorded, and so we'll have the, the stream of those available. Yeah, I'm going to go back and forth. Ancient Rome and British Empire. Uh, people have asked me, would I consider doing like my own experiences in Iraq? No, I, I, I can't see myself doing that. I think the First World War is probably as close as I'll come to modern times. Mm -hmm. And then see what inspires me. I had never heard of Frankfurt Trench until I, I heard Forlorn Hope's song. I, I do see that. I do honestly see that as a future book. Of, uh, and then I do want to do Medieval at some point. For those of you who are interested, James has two books about to be released. That's Soldier of Rome, Nova Era, and Soldier of Rome, Beyond the Frontier, books five and six of the Artorian Dynasty. To find out more, just go to legionarybooks.net. To keep up to date with Forlorn Hope Band, you can follow them on Twitter, where they are, surprise, surprise, at Forlorn Hope Band, all one word. I'll be back soon with the next episode in my Indian Mutiny series where we explore the terrible and tragic siege and massacre at Cornpore. That episode is scheduled for August the 7th. Take care guys and we will march again soon.